Hard to lead others if you don't have your own house in order. And a key part of that for all of us is our money. Last week, you heard about corporate budgeting. On this episode, four rules to get control of your money from the founder of one of the most popular budgeting systems. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 356. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. Last week, you heard about how to create a corporate budget. And you know, if you've been listening to this show for a while, that once in a while, I like to take a step away from the core leadership topics and zero in on a topic that is really important to us as leaders on a personal level, but also just as human beings. And last week's topic got me thinking about the importance of not only putting together a corporate budget, but also putting together a personal budget. And leadership is one of those things that a lot of us, even if we've had some school or classes or training on, uh, we, we just never learned as much as I think we need to learn. And financial planning and budgeting is probably one of those other topics. We always can learn more. And so today I've called up the person I know who's really the expert on this, who's the creator of the system Bonnie and I use for all of our personal budgeting. And I'm really thrilled to welcome Jesse Meekum to the show. Jesse is the CEO and founder of You Need a Budget, affectionately referred to as YNAB. First released in 2004, YNAB has been on a mission to help people stop living paycheck to paycheck, get out of debt, and save more money. He recently released his book by the same name, You Need a Budget, and it's already hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Jesse, I'm so glad to talk to you. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Thanks very much, Dave. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I am so curious about where this started for you. How did YNAB emerge and and why did it emerge for you? The name came from my wife. I remember distinctly we were sitting in our very tiny apartment. Uh, We were both newlyweds with a baby that was maybe two months away. So she was sitting there and, and I had had this, this uh, idea that if we made a little extra money selling this little budget that I'd built just for the two of us, because we were, you know, classic kind of broke college students, newlyweds, and we were having to watch our, watch our money very closely. And it had been working for us for about a year and a half. And I just thought, well, maybe we could sell this. So um, I worked on getting it ready. And uh, at the very beginning, it was just essentially a spreadsheet, which I'm sure your listeners are all very comfortable with that idea. And it was a little absurd to think that you could launch a business with just just a spreadsheet. But my vision was so small at the time, I just thought, hey, uh, you know, I can make a little extra money and get us through school without having to borrow money and, you know, have my wife be able to stay at home with the baby. And that was what she really wanted to do. So she, uh, she said, why don't you name it? You need a budget. And I liked that it was kind of assertive and a little bit cheeky. So we went with that and, and it was born, you know, at that point. It's been a, it's just been a grind ever since. But, uh, but you know, we're, we've been in it about 14 years and loving the whole process. There's a tendency with a lot of the software and apps. And I know, this, like you said, this started with an Excel spreadsheet to think a lot about the technology. And the technology is really cool. And you've all created some, some amazing things. But the thing that's really cool is the principles behind it. And that's actually yeah. what I'm really curious about for our audience is really whether they ever use the system or not of really getting good at 
this principle of how to approach budgeting. And, and I'd love to walk through the four rules you have. But even before we get into that, you know, I was reading the book, and one of the things that jumped out at me from the book was what you said about guilt. And you say in the book, if guilt is haunting you, it's one of two things. You know in your gut that a bigger priority needs your attention, or you're letting other people's expectations of how you should live your life color your choices. How does that play out in budgeting? So budgeting is essentially helps you answer that first potential cause of guilt where you're you're maybe dealing with a priority that's larger. So I hate using examples uh, during interviews because then I, it feels like I'm painting some example as a bad thing. But uh, just, you know, that's my little disclaimer. So let's say you go to Home Depot and you buy a new power drill because who doesn't need another one? And, uh, and then you feel guilty about it later because there's maybe a little bit of an impulse. Nothing wrong with having a power drill, but you, there's a priority that you're probably not addressing. And budgeting essentially answers that question for you. So if you go in ahead of time and just say, what are the most important things my money's supposed to do? You know, you think about it like strategic objectives. You say, what is our strategic objective here? And we want to make sure we're hitting those first. And then let the other pieces fall where they may. Most people, when they find out they're checking off the big boxes of their big priorities, the other stuff doesn't really move the needle anymore for them. And it certainly doesn't cause any guilt because you're knocking off the big things. And uh, I'm sure your listeners know what it's like to have a good day and a bad day. You know, a good day starts with you deciding what's important for that day, not procrastinating those hard, important things, getting them done. And then when the other things don't get done, for some strange reason, you still feel really productive because you tackled the big stuff first. And budgeting just just lets us do that. And then on the flip side, on that second side of things that cause guilt, when you're proactively deciding what's important to you, what are your priorities, other people's voices and comments and things, they start to become very small, very inconsequential. And uh, they won't they won't cause you any harm at that point. So so much of our audience is, is just like you described, we think about productivity and the importance of doing the most yeah. important things first. And for some reason, there's something in a lot of our brains that when we pull up the check register <laughs> or budget or pay our bills, it all of a sudden goes away and we don't do that. I can speak to that for just a moment because there's a strange thing and it's for highly productive individuals. I find this to happen a lot where we care a lot, a lot about how we use our time. We wake up on time. We have a regimented morning routine. We're exercising. We're efficient. You know, we're listening to a book as we drive in somewhere. We're just, I mean, we're, we're wizards on our phones, just nailing things. We don't like to have a spare minute. We don't fill with something productive. And all of that goes toward making hopefully fantastic incomes and very comfortable livelihoods. Once the, that time, that efficiency, all of that productivity is poured into this machine that then creates money for you and spits money out the other side, suddenly you don't treat the money the same way. But the money is just a representation of all of that work, all of that efficiency, all of that productivity that you poured in. It's just another, you know, another representation of all your work. So I would like to see the same conscientious, hyper-focused, very vigilant individual with their time. I would like to see them apply that same hyper-focused vigilance to their money, you know, at the end of the day. And then from there, we can relax once we got those big priorities taken care of. I mentioned earlier that, you know, the big part of this that I love is the principles and Bonnie and I have really focused our personal financing around the four rules of YNAB. And rule number one is give every dollar a job. And one of the distinctions 
that you make is the distinction between forecasting and budgeting. Tell me yeah. more about that. Yeah, this is good also when we're talking with, with leaders of organizations because as a leader of an organization, you need to forecast. You need to be looking at always ahead, sometimes three, five years ahead. But in the instance where we want to tell our dollars what they're supposed to do, you only think about what you currently have on hand. And if I could correlate it at all, if you've got, let's say you've got five, six direct reports and they walk into your office, you don't then say, well, if our team was a little bigger, if we had two more direct reports, this is what I'd have them do. Hey, everybody on the team, I'm sending off these two imaginary direct reports to go do these jobs for us. They'd be like, you, you lost your marbles, you Mm -hmm. know? So we only ever look at who do we have on hand right now? These are the jobs that need to be done right now. With dollars, it's the same way. As soon as you start forecasting, oh man, if we had this money, if we sold this house, you're a realtor, or if we landed this big client, you know, then we would have this money. We start to look at it through these really rosy glasses and we overstate the income that we'll have and we understate the expenses and we end up then just blaming the budget saying all oh, budgets don't work. And what I want to do is just, you, you make it finite and fixed and firm and you say, these are the resources we have on hand right now. What is the most important thing these dollars need to do before new dollars come in? Answer that question and you will feel this wave of peace come over. If, whether it's $300 you have on hand or 30000 you will feel this clarity that happens when you know now all of my dollars are off to do what they're supposed to do. You've delegated effectively and they're doing what they're supposed to do. You'll feel content. And that's, that's really what we're going after. We're going after getting people to be aware of what their money is doing and then having their money go do those things proactively so that they can find a little bit of peace. When we first started using the system, this was a real mind shift change for me and I think yeah, Bonnie too. Yeah, big- yeah and, and it's not comfortable at the beginning because if you're used to using like more of the traditional budgeting, the idea that, okay, I've got $10,000 in the checking account and every dollar is allocated to do a job. But after a few weeks, I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense. Don't worry about the future money. And I think you, you say this in the book, you use today's money to write your future, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. You're using today's money to write your future. It's a good line. I still like that line. Some of the other lines you don't like after you write a book, but I do still like that one. And the, the important thing is when you're dealing with a finite resource, what we're trying to create, and it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but we're trying to create scarcity in your thinking. We want you to deal with constraints. Constraints are powerful. Constraints allow us to be extremely creative and think outside the box. And anyone knows, you know, when you time box a project, suddenly the project just fits into that nice box that you gave it. You say, okay, guys, we got 10 minutes to come to a decision. 10 minutes is all it took. And with money, it's the same way. We create that scarcity where we say, this is all the money you have. We know you're going to earn money again in a week or two or even in three days. But we are creating a moment where if you give to this job over here with this money, you can't give as much to that job over here with that money. And those trade-offs, that's where the priorities start to be fleshed out. And it's just an exercise of recognizing what's most important. If you're doing it with a spouse or a partner, it's a fantastic exercise because both of you are kind of pushing and prodding and pulling at these different priorities and figuring things out together and, and learning, honestly, sometimes learning new stuff about this person you've lived with for 20 years. So it's, it's a really fascinating exercise to, get to, do, to do together. But the important part is 
if you start to bring in, oh, I will make money down the road, you've killed scarcity because now you have this limitless amount of money or essentially it just kills the constraint. And we want that constraint there. So you have to do the trade-offs and decide what's really most important to you. We had a guy in the show a couple of years ago who's the author of a book, Mark Barden, called A Beautiful Constraint. And it's exactly, he's done a bunch of research on oh, the fact I that- to, I need to read that. Yeah, you should, yeah. you should. Because it's all about how creativity tends to emerge in situations where there's a lot more constraints than if you have every yes. resource available to you. And it's so funny, like exactly the same thing I found when we started doing this process of once you assign dollars to everything, then all of a sudden- you have to make choices, right? Yeah. And it's- I, I was listening to something the other day, I mean, it was just yesterday, where there's these musicians and they create music. Maybe it's per song. They decide what noises they'll use and they, they're orchestrating or, or composing a song made from washing machine noises, which sounds hilarious, you know? And then as you, as they were asked, well, why don't you introduce other noises? It would be so much easier. It'd be easier to compose what you wanted if you brought in, you know, other options. And these, uh, these composers said, no, 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 quite the opposite. When your options are endless, then you, you don't create anything. You're frozen. You have too many. It's like, uh, you know, the classic decision fatigue that's been written about where, he, what was it, ketchup or mustard flavors? You know, people walk in and suddenly their happiness drops because they have too many choices. So there's a lot there. I got to read that book now that you mentioned. But yeah, I was reminded of the washing machine song. They, they, it's easier if you limit yourself to one appliance from which you like to compose music. So I guess we're doing kind of the same thing. Yeah, indeed. So logistically, I mean, whether you do it in the YNAB software or you do it on Excel spreadsheet or wherever, you, yeah. you know, whatever amount of money you got in your account, you allocate those dollars to exactly where they need to go, whether it's groceries yes. or home insurance or whatever. And I think that that fits in really well with rule two, which is embrace your true expenses. And this was huge for us because... One of the points the YNAB makes is that this is really important for people who've got fluctuating incomes, which we do every month. Every month, we have different amounts of money that come in. How does this play out? And why is it so important if you have fluctuating income? One, one of the things that you'll, as soon as you get really good at giving your money jobs and you're saying, okay, I know what I have on hand and all of it's been deployed, you're doing it right. And then you recognize that there are these priorities that we don't naturally think about because they're too far ahead. And and I think we're wired deep down inside to, you know, kind of assess the moment, make sure our life's not in danger and things like that. And so we aren't really equipped super well to look ahead and anticipate. So when we're talking about embracing your true expenses, when you have people list their monthly expenses, they'll say cell phone, groceries, uh, maybe a car payment or things like that. And then we'll say, well, what are you going to go on a vacation? Oh, well, yeah, we go on a vacation every year. We go to, you know, Florida or something. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's an expense. Do you celebrate the holidays? Do you do Christmas, Hanukkah, anything like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, you know, of course we do that, December 25th or whatever. So, well, it's not whatever. It's always that day. But what happens is you're starting to have people recognize that this monthly expense line that they do mental math around a lot when they're, you know, quote unquote, budgeting in their head, it's inaccurate. It understates accurate, you know, actual expenses. And we have expenses like your tires blowing out, your roof caving in. We uh, actually left a laundry room sink on the other day. And so we had water just, it sounded like someone was in the shower in the basement below. Oh no. Uh, water just gushing through. And so you're like, oh my gosh, you know, that, that stuff like that happens because you're alive. So you just, you know, you deal with it. You, you know, you've got money set aside for home repairs and things. 
if you're living, you know these things will happen. No, there's never been a car tire invented that doesn't wear out. So we can't pretend that yours won't. And as we look ahead and think about that, it's really fun to see how that true expense line, it does climb because now it's taken into account Christmas in eight months and the vacation in a year and uh, the wedding for the daughter or son in five years or however far out you feel like you need to go. But when you do that, then you start breaking them up into monthly amounts. And now you're not just giving priorities to should we eat out tonight or should we go buy that thing or should we pay our electricity bill? Those are all really easy. You're giving priorities to things like what about the vacation down in Florida in eight months? Do we want to fund that? It's in lieu of, you know, buying this thing right now. And so you have the future version of you, you have the current version of you, and you have this little discussion deciding, you know, what's most important. Sometimes it's for the future, sometimes it's for the present, but it's up for you to decide. But now you have all the information so you can make really solid decisions because you're thinking about the future obligations, you're thinking about the current obligations, you have scarce resources, your creativity's firing, and you're doing that trade-off between what you really want. This has been huge for us because we, I think like a lot of people, you know, we have our fixed expenses every month, but we'd have those things that would come up. And, you know, thankfully we've, you know, we've had the blessings to, you know, that doesn't, has never taken us down, but yeah. it's an annoyance. And it's funny you mentioned car tires and things like that. I remember when we first started with Wineab, one of the powerful things of the software is like, you can figure out pretty quickly over a course of years, how much do you on average spend on auto maintenance? <laughs> you know? yeah, and, exactly. and then we just started setting that aside and assigning those dollars every month, even if we didn't have... The, and then when you know the cars needed new tires, it was like, oh, no big deal. We've already got the amount of money set aside exactly. for that because we knew that was going to happen. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is that when you start doing this, a lot of the quote-unquote emergencies don't really ever happen anymore. Exactly. Yeah. You, you'll you find, like, I, we still will have people save for emergency, you know, an emergency fund. But I noticed just recently in my own finances, and I'm always kind of questioning myself and trying to see if there's a better or more optimal way to do things. And one of the things I noticed was our emergency fund is probably three or four months worth of expenses. And it just was sitting in the checking account. And I realized we hadn't dipped into that for years, years and years. And it was because a lot of the things we call emergencies aren't. Car tires blowing out, that is not an emergency. That's something that you've known long ago would happen. You know, uh, Car repairs being needed, home repairs, kids swimming lessons in the summer, summer camps, all sorts of things. Those aren't emergencies. And what we tend to do is we'll throw money, we'll throw a big pile of money in a corner and we'll say, that's our emergency fund. And then it's just this revolving door of, of things you forgot to handle. And what, what you're losing there is the ability to balance and prioritize and say, okay, th this is not just some kind of vague emergency pile. We're saying our money should be there for repairs, should be there for swimming lessons, should be there for the holidays, travel, and all those things. And you're being much more discreet. And you'll feel like it won't be this revolving door of savings because everyone knows this is what happens. Savings goes in, savings goes out. And you're like, well, I was saving money, but now I'm not because you know, I had this little hiccup this month, but next month will be better. So you put some savings in, a little hiccup this month, next month will be better. There is no normal month ever, ever, ever. So when we're thinking about the savings, we want to be very discreet and purposeful, even with that money and say, what specifically is this for? Because then again, it goes back to that rule, that first rule, priorities are coming out and we really want those priorities. We want them flushed out and dialed in for exactly what you want your life to be like. 
And this leads right into the third rule, which is roll with the punches. And one of the things I've heard you say is the mantra, changing my budget is not failing, <laughs> right? No, 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 quite the opposite. Yeah. If, if you're not changing your budget, you're, you're not budgeting because nobody's clairvoyant. Well, if there is someone clairvoyant out there, you're you're going to kill it economically, I'm sure. Yeah, call but, call us up by the way. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> I'd love, love to, hear. to start a hedge fund with you, you know. So <laughs> we we aren't going to be able to do that. So we cannot punish ourselves for not being good guessers at what we will spend. That is the uh, the objective of budgeting is not to arbitrarily assign a number to something and then beat yourself up when you did not guess correctly. What we want to do with budgeting is to prioritize and be intentional. And then be aware at how the money is actually flowing against our intentions. But when your intentions change or when life throws you a wicked curveball, you just have to recognize, oh, my life involves this wicked curveball right now. So we're going to have to adjust. Our first learning with that, when Julie and I were first married, YNAB didn't exist. We were just doing this little spreadsheet all on our own. We, I distinctly remember we had a funeral and it was out in Atlanta. And we suddenly had to come up with five, six, seven hundred dollars in airline tickets. And I mean, I guess there was an option where we could have, we couldn't drive because we had to be back to school. And I guess we could have not gone, but that, that wasn't really an option, you know? So we had to move money around in the budget. And back in those days, a $700 hit, it took us uh, several months to kind of, you know, come back around from that and get things all in order again. But uh, that's just life. You know, that was just life. So be, think of yourself more as a grandmaster chess player adjusting to your opponent's play and less like a fortune teller. And I think you'll get a long way with it. It's crazy we had to make a rule saying change your own plan when you want to, but we did. No, I think it's critical because Dwight Eisenhower, I think, said, I think we've said on this show before, uh, plans are worthless, but planning is indispensable. And it's so true with this because... And as much as we all know this as leaders, I mean, no one walks into a corporation and has a plan and executes it perfectly. Like we're always changing our plans, but then we set up the budget in whatever software we use or Excel. And then we go over our dining budget, you know, by whatever amount. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, this budget stuff doesn't work. <laughs> right? Budget doesn't work. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, no. You just ate more. My word. You know? Good grief. Let it go. Yeah. So that's yeah. It. yeah. You just adjust, adjust to move forward. The budget is always about looking forward and adjusting and proactively planning. Very little of, of it is about this post-mortem analysis. I mean, I, I have like a thousand analogies having done this for so long as it relates to changing your mind, you know, basketball coaches making halftime adjustments and things like that. But yeah, you just, it's always proactive looking forward. Like any good leader, you, you have a handle on the current situation, but you are always looking ahead. It's your job to be looking ahead. And you're the leader of your money. And it's the same old rules. Yeah. And I think the system allows for that. And and I I actually really like that you have this as a rule because you encourage people to like say, it's okay to change the budget number. Because that was the struggle we always had with. We used Mint before we used You Need a Budget. And the income wouldn't match up or then the expenses wouldn't match up. And it just became it became meaningless after a while because we didn't really yeah. ever look at the number. But now when something changes, you know, we just we talk about it and we're like, okay, you know, we're going to take this money out of this bucket and put it into that bucket and it works. Yeah. Move forward. Yeah. I mean, we, we've not to talk about the software too much, but in any way that you implemented this, you would want to make the mechanism for moving money very easy. And we've, we've tried to do that. I've thought about, you know, when, the, when someone moves, many way out of, you know, moves money, we, we should 
fire confetti out of a corner and be like, yay, you're budgeting really well. And they're like, what? I just overspent. I had to, you're like, no, no, you're winning. You know, that kind of thing. So it, it is, it is really that if the worst thing they could do is feel like a failure and then quit, then they truly are losing this game. Yeah. But uh, if we can have them feel like they're winning when they're adjusting, oh man, they'll, they'll be in it for the long haul. That rule is the longevity rule. That rule is what keeps people on the wagon. Yeah. Same with us. Cool. All right. So rule four, age your money. So this is very prominent in the software of like, you know, how many days your money is has been aged. And like, I'm always trying to get that number to be higher. <laughs> what do you mean by age your money? So it's just a, it's a metric that we invented that measures, the software does it, but it measures the time elapsed from when you earned the dollar to when that specific dollar is spent again. And we take an average. So it's really just telling you how close to the paycheck to paycheck precipice you stand. If you earn money on Friday, payday, and then it's all gone uh, two days later, you know, you're spending money that's on average a day or two old. We would like to get people, and we are, getting people to where they're spending money that they earned at least 30 days ago. And as you follow the first three rules, this metric it just kind of takes care of itself. There's, there's nothing actively to do uh, it's just a matter of kind of noticing, hey, we're further from that precipice than we used to be. And the beauty of it is your stress drops, which means your health improves, you're sleeping better, which means your health improves, your relationships improve because things aren't as stressful. The, the, the far-reaching effects of having your money be really boring and effective is fantastic. And the age of money is, it's almost a signal of kind of how boring are things for you, you know? And we want them to be as boring as possible mm. as it relates to money. Yeah. I, when we, before we were doing unit to budget, we had our mint budget and then we had our Excel spreadsheet on the side because yeah. we knew that we needed to like, okay, you know, in June is home insurance month. <laughs> so we've got to like yeah. be setting and we had a separate account to move money over to that. And it's so funny. This is the first time in our lives. I think for either of us, we literally do not have a savings account. We only have one checking account. And we've we're doing a better job saving than we've probably ever been, just because it's all it's all tracked in one place, and that that it's simple, you know, as far as aging the money, just thinking about that. Yeah, exactly. And you don't you never look at your bank account balance to determine whether you should spend money. So if, when someone starts following YNAB, they'll they'll usually from the start to finish usually almost ten x their bank account. It would depend a little bit on demographics, but they're usually their balance gets much much larger. And I actually had a chat with a banker one time. And I said, hey, if you had all of your customers use YNAB, we could 10x your deposits, essentially. And he said, oh, we, we, don't, we don't care at all about how much we have in deposits. We need to lend more money. So our interests weren't aligned, <laughs> weren't aligned at all. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting that you know the, the negative of this is basically that the teller, if you ever walk into a brick and mortar place anymore, you know, they'll give you a funny look and they'll probably try and pitch you on opening a couple accounts. But you just you know politely decline. But you end up with a fairly large checking account, and you don't even know what it is. You, you know you're just going off of can we go to sushi or are we going to pizza? And you look at your restaurant category, and you know are we buying these shoes or are we going somewhere else? You look at your clothing category, and it's all run from the budget. So if you're sharing finances like you've alluded to here, then you know both both parties have the same data, and they're not both guessing simultaneously looking at a pile of money in a checking account saying, Ooh, should I buy this? Should I not buy it? And then feeling guilty afterward if they do, or feeling sad if they don't, but they're both on the same page and just saying, how much do we have here in this very discreet category? And it's perfect information and you only need to know it when you're making that decision. 
and then you can kind of move on with your life. It's, it's a great way to manage things. Leaders are always learning and growing. One of the questions I often ask people at the end of our conversations is, what have you changed your mind on? I've got two questions for you around that, Jesse. First of all, what have you changed your mind on around budgeting? As you've been 15 years into this. What's changed? Yeah. And I read my old writing. I recognize that I used to really want to dictate what people did with their money. I said, budgeting is important and you should budget for these things. And I've changed my mind on that in a major way. I really feel like it's far too individual for for me to say frugality is the thing that you know you should pursue or everyone should do this. Uh, and I've gotten much more comfortable with just saying, you budget, you be honest with yourself. And you do find common threads across large populations of what's important. But it, yeah, I read my old writing, I kind of wince like, oh man, I'm a little heavy handed and Really? You, you really think everyone should do that? So that's been an adjustment for me. And every once in a while, I catch myself kind of falling back into my very preachy, judgy ways and have to, you know, have to kind of rein myself in. It's been an adjustment, but a good one, you know, as and I, I, I don't fault myself for it too much. It's just part of the process, you know, just learn as you go. One of our core values at, at YNAB is, you know, internally is that you are open minded and we often say, you know, we, you can change your mind. You are never, never get a knock against you because you changed your mind. Any organization that doesn't applaud changing your mind and changing your stance on something is an organization ripe for disruption because they will be so set in their ways. They, they won't even know what hit them. It'll come from every direction and that'll be the end of that. So I love that I can argue with my, uh, my CTO and then the next day, I, asked, I I changed my mind and I take his stance and lo and behold, he's taken mine now. And we're literally, <laughs> we're literally defending what we were just attacking the day before. And we just know we do that, you know? It's, uh, it's a fantastic way to be. So yeah, never punish anyone for saying, hey, I've changed my mind on this. I think we should go this way. That, that's a sign of maturity and high-level thinking and emotional intelligence that I think should be rewarded. Uh, it comes right back to roll with the punches, right? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you alluded to this earlier. I mean, when you started this, this this was not going to become a large organization. Oh, it was gosh. you and Julie and an Excel spreadsheet, and maybe we'll sell a few of these. And now you have a huge team. This has become a really big thing. I mean, I was amazed at yeah. how many of our Academy members know about You Need a Budget or have, or have used it. What have you learned as a leader that you've changed your mind on in the last few years? I, I could write a book. You know, there's so many. I think the one that's been toughest for me is learning that I am, I'm probably the least fit to do most of the jobs. And there are far more capable, smarter people that will do far better and letting things go. And, you know, it, it, I guess it goes back to the delegation side, but it was very, very hard for me to let go of the product roadmap. It was very hard for me to let go of design input, though I'm no designer, but when it's your baby from the start, you just, you just get used to that, you know? And, it was very hard for me to let go of direct management of all the employees. And now there's, there's a layer or two between me and, and some of, you know, some of the team. And so I, it's okay if you feel like, you know, you're feeling resistance against it and it's tough to let things go, but just keep moving in that direction. Cause you find out there's usually like 10 other more qualified individuals that would do a better job of it. And you just got to get the right people and then let them go, you know, give them autonomy and, and let them, let them be and amazing things happen. 
Jesse, this has been awesome. If you have been listening to this and thinking, gosh, there's some things here that are really resonating with me, I have two calls to action for you. One of them is to pick up the book, You Need a Budget. I think you'll find it fun, some good principles, uh, good humor, uh, but most importantly, some real practical things you can do. Uh, The other thing that you can do if you really want to take the deep dive and do what Bonnie and I are doing is to try out the software. I think you'll find it is going to challenge you and get you thinking about doing these four things and also really encourage you to do it regularly. Jesse, folks can go to the website. Is it youneedabudget.com or ynab.com? Actually, I don't know. Either one. We got both. So yeah, you know one of and you know, there's like a 34-day free trial and people can try it out. And I'd encourage you to do that because it's really worked well for us. And it is the first time we've had financial software that we've not found like we're making compromises with all the time. So thank you so much for that. So I encourage you to take one of those two actions. Jesse, thank you so much for your time and for creating this. It's really been a huge help to us. And I know it's going to be helped to others too. Thank you very much, Dave. Thanks for having me on. And, and uh, yeah, I'm just happy that you're a happy user and uh, glad to be here. Thanks a ton, Jesse, for sharing the four rules with us. Bonnie and I have really found uh, the rules to be helpful in our own budgeting over the last few years, and you need a budget systems worked out great. Whether you use their software or not, I think you'll find that these rules are going to really help you to take control of your money. And if you are looking for more on this, several related episodes to today's conversation, one of them I'd recommend is episode 207, How to Transform Your Limitations into Advantages. Back on that episode, I had Mark Barden as my guest. He was here talking about his book, A Beautiful Constraint. The genesis of that book is that your limitations can be some of your biggest strengths as far as generating creativity and driving you to excellence. I have thought about that conversation a lot over the last couple of years. And if you find yourself in the situation of thinking a lot, gosh, if only I had, insert whatever here, the resources, the budget, whatever, I think you'll find that conversation to be really helpful in getting you to think differently and also potentially take advantage of the limitation you've got in front of you. Episode 207 is one to definitely check out for that. Also, related to today's conversation, I'd recommend episode 322, How to Manage Your Money. Jill Schlesinger was my guest last year, and we talked about some of the big picture items that we didn't hit on today. We talked about insurance. uh, We talked about investments a bit and just some of the overall things that all of us should be thinking about in regards to personal finance. Jill is the host of the Better Off podcast. I listen to that one every week as well. It is a fabulous show on personal finance. And Jill is an expert in the area and has been for many, many years. Episode 322 is a great compliment to today's conversation. And then finally, I would recommend also episode 337, Six Tactics to Achieve Extraordinary Performance. On that episode earlier this year, I had Morton Hansen as my guest. He is a professor at Berkeley, has done a ton of research on how people learn in organizations. And in particular, in that episode, we talked about the concept of learning loops and how you can change your behavior by applying the six tactics that he's uncovered his research. Another episode I continually come back to myself. I've listened to it a couple of times in the last few months. I've integrated a lot of the things Morton talked about in his research into some of our work with our academy members. If you are looking to change your behavior, which of course 
a lot of us are when we're doing personal budgeting, but we're also looking for that in our leadership development. Episode 337, definitely worth you checking out as well. And of course, you can access all of these past episodes and many more in the online portal. It is a free access. If you set up your free membership on the website, you'll be able to search by topic. There is a finance and budgeting topic in the podcast library, as well as personal leadership and many other areas that relate to today's conversation. The best way to get access to all of that is just to go over to coachingforleaders.com. You can activate your free membership right away if you haven't already. It's going to give you access to all of that, my book notes, the resources online, uh, everything I archive and send in the weekly leadership guides, the weekly leadership guides themselves coming on Wednesdays. And also, if that's not enough, the free audio course, uh, 10 Days, that is titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. It's a great way to get started on the lessons from this podcast over the last several years. And again, you can access all of that just by going to coachingforleaders.com. Set up your free membership completely free. You can start uh, really getting into the portal there and exploring everything that's available to you. Hey, thank you so much this week to the Magic Viewer and Bob Furby in New Zealand, Good in Hong Kong, and Heifer Forbes here in the States. All of you left very kind reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for doing that. I read all the reviews. They're all helpful to me in uh, affirming some of the things that are working. Also, for suggestions on things that uh, will continue to improve the show, you can always reach out to me on the website as well, too. If you have a moment to leave a review for the show on the Apple platform, I always appreciate that. Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash Apple. Have a great week and see you next week for our next regular episode. Take care.